welcomes everyone. Welcome, Asib. Um, great to be here for another uh, Data on Kubernetes meetup. We just finished meetup number 51. We are doing meetup number 52. We've done meetups in Spanish, in English, in Portuguese, in Hindi. We're looking to do meetups in other languages if everybody has any ideas. Um, but anyway, we, if you haven't checked us out yet on, on Slack, jump in our Slack. We just broke a thousand um, on Slack. So that's kind of a milestone for us. Um, had a lot of growth in the last few months. Very excited for the next steps we're going to be taking as a community to get more folks participating. Um, also gonna be working on a book uh, to sort of codify when we're talking about data on Kubernetes, what that means. We also have launched a beginner series that we'll be doing the first Thursday of every month. We just completed our, our first session for that, which is about uh, an introduction to Docker. I see, I'm sure you know more than a few things about Docker. Um, and we'll, like I said, we'll be doing that every first Thursday of the month. As we lead up to KubeCon, we will be doing another co-located event in KubeCon um, in Los Angeles. Hopefully we'll be able to do that event in person, certainly hybrid no matter what, um, but hopefully we'll be able to have an in-person element as more and more folks are getting vaccinated. Um, so like I said, you can always jump in our Slack, ask questions. Hasib, if you've got some extra time today, we, we I'm sure we'll definitely get some questions in there as well in Slack to get those answered if we don't have enough time to get to them um, while we're here. Uh, but like I said, check us out on YouTube, check us out on Twitter, we're on LinkedIn, we're in many different places, um, getting our Instagram moving as well. Um, that being said, uh, Hasib, I just kind of want to turn it over to you. You are no stranger to this topic and have a very interesting role. It's a nice to be with somebody who is on the technical side, but also very much as a business focus, because that's part of the challenge that we're talking a lot about in our community is, you know, how do you sell data on Kubernetes? What's the, you know, what's the opportunity? What are the opportunities that are out there from a business perspective? You know, as we say in the United States, if it doesn't make dollars, it doesn't make sense. Um, Hasib, very nice to have you with us today. Um, can you just tell, let us, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this world? Yep. Happy to, uh, Bergman. Thanks again for having me. Um, so we have been working on the Rafi platform for over three years now, so three years and a quarter uh, or thereabouts. Um, a number of us here came from a company named Akamai. It's a CDN company that, that many of you may have heard of. Um, uh, we ended up at Akamai through an acquisition of a security company, which was, I guess in hindsight, the first SaaS-based software-defined perimeter company. So it's a, essentially a VPN replacement, but as a service, uh, you know, you could connect to any of your apps from anywhere. So long as you can get to the internet, you can get to your apps kind of firewall. Uh, in running that platform and operating that platform, I think we learned a lot about how hard it is to manage infrastructure. I think, you know, infrastructure for many becomes this, you know, this uh, secondary priority. Uh, and this is something that I, I believe through, uh, uh, you know, I, personally did not have a uh, broad appreciation for how hard it is to be an SRE, right? In a company that's running applications at scale. And, and I now I gotta why tell you, you. Why do you think that, uh, you know, the infra is kind of like the, the ugly duckling we could say, why do you think it gets- Yeah, so uh, like the step, uh, I don't know, man. I think I think it's because like in, in our case, you know, and, and this is something that, you know, it's, it's, it's sometimes it's, it's very, it's cathartic to be honest about, you know, your, assumptions that were wrong, right? So uh, in our previous shop, we were focused on security, right? Everybody in the company uh, or majority of the team members in the early days, you know, they're, they're all proxy guys, right? They're gals and they understood how, you know, you know, TCP worked and how HTTP worked and these things they could do in their sleep and they probably had proxies plugged into their toasters at home. But when it came to running the software that they wrote in production, they just kind of assumed, okay, well, I wrote my code and, you know, just, you know, like go figure it out. Yeah. And I don't think any of us had appreciation for what it actually takes to keep uh, a service up and running 24 seven globally across a number of customers. And we learned the hard way. Uh, and I got it. We learned the hard way because, uh, well, you know, we had, you know, early days, a bunch of things went wrong and they're like, what, what, what the hell's happening? Why is this not working? I thought this would be easy, right? You just write some code and you throw it over, right? What's the problem? No, I mean, there's a whole lot of work that goes into, you know, kind of keeping things up and running. But reliability, you know, it's not just about, you know, launching an application and kind of letting it run. It's not just about, hey, okay, I have log is flowing. It's a, it's a mindset. Right. It's the assumption that things will break and if they break and when they break, what am I going to do about it? Right. And that is a that is a philosophy. That is a religion that you have to come to, uh, you know, just kind of you have you, you have to you have to let it kind of, you know, kind of 
flow over you uh, and uh, uh, it took us a while. So yeah, we were uh, sort of non-believers, right? We used to believe that this is easy, right? We'll have like one engineer in the, in the morning and one engineer in the evening and we should have magic happen. No, that team became very large, very fast. Uh, and that got us thinking about what is the right level of automation that we should be investing in back in our previous company. That experience taught us that Look, you know, this team that we had at, at back at Akamai, it's a very sophisticated organization. They ran a very, very large platform on the internet. If they're having these challenges with modern applications, these were containerized applications, with modern applications that this relatively sophisticated organization is having so many challenges, what about all these enterprises that are now trying to go to the cloud, right? Modernizing their applications, running them. You know, Kubernetes was a new thing at the time, but in some container orchestration platform, you know, sometimes they don't even know what they don't know. And that was the opportunity. Right, so it was based on our arguably, you know, uh, failure at doing it well ourselves, and that you know, you know that stumbling uh, around allowed us to kind of really appreciate how painful this is, and that allowed us to build a platform that now, look, you know, we compete with you know, well-known companies like Ranger, for example, OpenShift, right, and we don't lose deals to them because we come with a level of experience that is hard to match. Right, so the, what we built when SREC, they go, okay, well, these are all the things that I've been thinking about, but I don't have a 30, 40 person team of developers to go build this. Okay, Rafi, you built it for me. You know, I'm going to consume it and it's going to be part of my strategy. So that, you know, sometimes you learn these tough lessons and then so long as you look at the civil learning and say, okay, I've learned something from this, you end up with something even better. So the experiences from our previous shop, just the pain that we let, been through and, and, and lived through uh, allowed us to build something incredible here at Rafi. Yeah, and I think I think often you know many many things are born out of those sort of you know suffering experiences. But how can I translate that into yeah. something productive to avoid those mistakes? And knowing, like you said, or, or those pain points, that if you've gone through it, there's got to be other folks out there that have gone through similar problems. Yep. I also find at the enterprise level, like you said, I don't know what I don't know. Um, there's a sort of maybe embarrassment sometimes. You know, no CIO wants to walk into a room and feel like somebody's going completely over their head. Um, which is precisely one of the reasons why you know as much as we want to address folks that are in more of a very technical position, such as SREs, we want it to be, you know, like, how do you explain Kubernetes, you know, to your neighbor, <laughs> to your uh, to your partner, um, to friends that might be outside the circle, to simplify it in a way so it's not so complicated. And as you said, is that like, it seems for often in, in my experience, very often if it's like enterprise, open shift, you know, I want this out of the box, tried and trusted, you know, like, um, but it's, it's good to see that that there are other that there are other solutions out there. That there are other competitors that are that are addressing these problems at the enterprise level. Um, and then, of course, there can be the, the debate about you know cloud providers and, and which one addresses more so the you know the enterprise level issues. Um, and now we find you know multi cloud, hybrid cloud, cross cloud, cloud native, etc. And but I still think, as you said, there's a big component of that. As much as we can talk about technology, I really think a lot of it comes down to your first and foremost about mindset and culture. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how these things come up um, in your in your presentation. Yeah. Yep. So uh, you know what what I've what I've kind of come to really enjoy now in these introductory sales meetings with like CDL people or heads of infrastructure operations, mm -hmm. etc., is. Uh, you know, we try to not do slides. We're kind of having a, you know, very, uh, I, I would say, a conversational approach to understanding, hey, so what's not working, right? And what we found is, look, even at the top levels, because now uh, this modernization uh, effort uh, at pretty much any enterprise you can pick, right? I mean, this, this is happening. This is happening in, in a big way. Uh, many of these enterprises are becoming cloud first, which essentially means they say when I have a new app, I'm going to deploy it on cloud. Yeah. Uh, and because they're all containerized, they're saying, well, I'm going to use Kubernetes. And because they're using Kubernetes and they're going to, let's say, Amazon or, or Azure, uh, these platforms now provide managed Kubernetes services. So Amazon has EKS. It's awesome. Uh, Azure has EKS. It's very, very, very good. Uh, and of course, GKE from Google, it's phenomenal. Right? So these are really, really good platforms and they're effectively free to use. Uh, so I think uh, uh, EKS, I believe it costs $72 a month per cluster to use consuming EKS. Of course you pay for EC2, but the, you know, the kind of the Kubernetes control thing costs 72 bucks a month. It's a rounding error relative to how much more money you're going to be spending in Amazon anyway. So many of these enterprises are saying, well, I'm going to Amazon or wherever. Okay, then maybe I should be using their managed Kubernetes offering. All right, so uh, what else do I need? Right, and that's where we are trying to pick up the conversation. Um, and what we are talking about with them is, 
look, to be at an enterprise grade with a, a fully functioning operating environment running production applications, you know, Mr. CIO or whoever, you know, look, obviously you have to build clusters and, you know, that's, that's a, to me, that's a generation one problem, Bart, and uh, this whole other hypothesis we should talk about another day, but how, you know, in any market, there's a gen one set of companies who, who tell the world the problem exists and they solve it, kind of, they, they show you how to consume the, whatever this technology is. So OpenShift, Branch, et cetera, right? So they had the, the heavy lift of explaining to the world what Kubernetes is or container orchestration is uh, more, more kind of broadly, and then showing them, well, I, let me help you build a cluster. Right, so that was the hard part, right? Like three, four years ago, my God, like building clusters, right? there was a lot of work. Now it's not that hard actually, right? I mean, you can do it, but now what are the challenges? The life cycle of the cluster is a challenge, right? I mean, how do I upgrade it? Is there like every now and then when you go from whatever 1.x to 1.y in Kubernetes, like EKS will say, by the way, this time around core DNS needs to change. And then of course, 20 to 21 container D is a new thing you got to take on. So now you as an SRE team has to build all of this automation so every time upgrade happens, you have to build a new, a, set, a new set of automation just for your cluster. And now the cluster is done, but then I need automation for, well, all, I, have not, I don't have one cluster, I have 10 clusters, whatever number. Uh, do they all look the same? Maybe your security team said you must be running Prisma Cloud on everything or New Relic or whatever, Splunk, whatever, 50 different things. Are you sure they're running everywhere? Are you getting audits from everywhere? Can you see the QBPI logs from everywhere? Uh, when people kubectl in, do you have an easy way to create service accounts and then track all of that stuff, governance, right? Uh, can you deploy applications in an automated way? So you can invest in GitOps, but hey, maybe you could buy it. Uh, do you have pipelines in place so you can track it? Is everything backed, backed by Git? Um, you know, on and on and on. As I tell, 10 or secrets management seems to be the, the most painful thing for most companies. Most enterprises end up using Harshika Vault. Uh, it's phenomenal. But then getting Vault working, the Vault client working with Kubernetes, it's not easy. And we've just gone through like three, four, five things. But this is probably a 10, 12, 15 uh, uh, line items that need to be addressed for you to consider yourself what I would call like production grade, enterprise grade. Hey, Mr. Customer, the, well, the, how, much, how much time is that going to take you to do, right? I mean, but dealing right. with, that, you know, all of these people that will be able to. Yeah, how's that onboarding? That, so this is how the gentle problem. Are, how do those internal conversations go? Uh, and then once again as well, too, maybe I don't have a team of 30, 40 developers. Yep. You know, this is, because yep. I was just talking to somebody yesterday is, you know, there are 27 million developers in the world. If that's the case, how many SRDs? And, and so then that where that what the next question is, do I need that many Kubernetes administrators? What kind of tasks can be automated so that I don't necessarily have such a right. you know, heavy lifting on the human side? There's a huge talent problem. And so how can that be addressed through technologies? But then the learning curve on some of these things is also quite steep. As you said, if you start saying this, this, and this, so then how do you, how do you present that then to, you know, folks in enterprise level positions that are thinking, I've only got so many, you know, you know, uh, battles in me that I can fight. Uh, how do you go about that? Yeah. So, so this ties back to the Gen 1, Gen 2 uh, kind of uh, framework I was talking about. So my perspective is that the Generation 2 companies in the Kubernetes space, and we consider ourselves a Generation 2 company, the fact that you can build a cluster and you can maintain a namespace, right? I mean, that's a done problem. We do that to obviously we have to do these things. But the bigger problem now is these, you know, 10, 12 items that we've just talked about. Oh, I guess we talked about four or five of them. And what we are telling our customers is, look, this stack that you have to solve for anyway, and then every month or so, two months or so, you're going to keep updating it because you know things change underneath. We sell it to you as a service. By the way, this is not software uh, like a Rancher or OpenShift. This is actually a SaaS product. Uh, it's you know it's talk to type two ready, so you don't have to worry about compliance issues. You can just consume it as a service. You can use it on prem. You can use it in the cloud. You don't need to run the controller like with OpenShift. You have to maintain a controller, right? You have to own that. I mean, they can run it for you, but you have to pay for that. Um, we got it. It's SaaS. It's built on zero trust principles. Um, you know, it's uh, it works natively with EKS and uh, AKS and GKE. So you don't have to use OpenShift's Kubernetes. It's why why would I? I mean, it's there. EKS is free. Why am I not going to use that? And then all of the 12, 15 things that you have to do on top of Kubernetes to consume it easily from a developer perspective, as well as from a from an operations perspective. We provide that as a, as, as a service. All these things are taken care of. And every time EKS goes from, I don't know, 119 to 120, the, 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 the workflow to go from 190 to 120, we will build it for you. And we will make it available to all of our customers as a service. So now my individual customer can focus on their application and not on the infrastructure. And fundamentally, what we're selling is 
peace of mind, right? They're selling time to market. We're sell, telling them, hey, you, your Kubernetes layer, that, that risk that you have in your stack, because Bart, you and I know that many projects out there are getting delayed because of the, complex, because of the complexity of Kubernetes. People don't have the right you know, headcount or you know, just too much work, right? Even with the five, seven, 10 people, every company, what I'm shocked by is how many rock stars there are out there. Right, like this morning, 7 a.m., we had a call with a very sophisticated company, and you know they built a whole framework around you know, Terraform Cloud and how Terraform Cloud launches a bunch of things, and just incredibly well thought through stuff. But they have their backlog is massive. They know they can do all of this stuff, but they're just so busy. And this is a 12-person organization. This is not this is not like one guy, right? It's like 12-person team. They're just so busy, and what they're looking for is, look, I need to get this done. I could double my team. I'll still take time. Is there somebody out there who just chops off my backlog so I can focus on the value of the company? Because I need to go focus on my apps issues. I have to scale my app and Kubernetes is getting in my way. That's our job, right? So we sort of end up, and I say this a lot, I tell my customers that if you work with me, think of that engagement as if you hired a guy named Rafe. He works for you now. But there's an army of 50 people or whatever, 100 people behind him who's going to support you. So that's how you should think about us. Yes, we're selling product. It's a SaaS product. You can consume it as a service. But if, if Rafi didn't exist, your alternative is you have to go build all the stuff. That's a lot of work. Let's go focus on value. And this Kubernetes layer, I got it. You can rely on me, Mr. Customer. So that's, that's a conversation. And uh, look, it's going really well because I think the the the, the the market, the customer base seems to now have a lot of appreciation for A, the, you know, the, the problem set, right? They, they're now learning what, what it is, right? What, what are all the things I got to do? And then more importantly, I think they're realizing that if I do this myself, like we all used to before, I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to get to the value for my company. So you take care of Kubernetes, I'll take care of my app. And that partnership is what's allowing us to make a lot of money. Real quick, we got a question. I got two questions. Um, one from Avinash. Thank you very much. Do enterprise applications use a managed service or do they deploy their own solution? So the trend I'm seeing is people are going with managed services, EKS, EKS, GKE, uh, and then they kind of have the control, essentially the control things being run by, by, the, by the cloud provider at that point. And they write a platform on top or they work with people like us. Uh, who will provide them a kind of a managed platform on top so they can focus on the value. But definitely there's a trend now. Fewer and fewer companies are spinning up on their own Kubernetes in the cloud. And, and any particular reason why you think that is? I think that's one more moving part, right? Now you own the control plane, right? I mean, if AWS, I know AWS better, so I'll, I'll keep using AWS as examples here because I just know EKS better. But I mean, I don't know how many clusters they're running, but it's more than 100, more than 1,000, more than 100,000 probably. So they have a whole lot of experience around the SRE piece for running control planes for everybody out there. So I am betting on their learning faster than me as it, runs, as it uh, you know, relates to control planes. Similar to how Amazon, who's a big partner for us and they introduce us to our, our customers, they are betting on me, us, that we know the management layer of Kubernetes because we do it for so many customers, right? End of the day, this is about, this is a numbers game, right? The more you do it, the, the faster you learn. Anyone enterprise will have one platform, right? We do this for so many customers, so we're learning faster. Similarly, Amazon is running tens of thousands, I don't know how many, but many, many, many clusters for so many companies, they're gonna do a better job than me, I think, right? So just so you know, in our platform, we provide uh, you know, two options. So you can spin up uh, kind of upstream Kubernetes, that, that is rapid powered and curated, uh, or you can spin up EKS and Amazon or, you know, conventionally EKS and Azure. Um, and uh, we don't charge uh, for either of those things. Because in my opinion, at this point, Kubernetes is, you know, it's, it's, it's free, right? It's a community project. We don't, we shouldn't charge for Kubernetes. So whether you use the curated version that Rafi provides or whether you use EKS with Rafi, you decide, Mr. Customer. But we sort of push our customers to use EKS and we kind of put the buttons to the left for EKS and, you know, upstream Kubernetes to the right, just so I want people to kind of think about, look, I, I should use EKS. I would encourage everybody to be using the managed provider offering. I would not encourage people to use their own. Yeah. With, with that in mind too, I think, you know, something that's, that's come up in more and more conversations, we talk about day zero, day one, day two. We also talk about, you know, cloud native landscape. You look at the, the CNCF, just the projects, the names, the technologies, and it's, it's endless. 
Um, I think that's somewhat of a barrier for, for a lot of folks that even want to start working with Kubernetes. Do you imagine that there will be, you know, over the next 10 years, let's say a simplification to make Kubernetes ubiquitous by becoming simpler? When everything goes up, sta up the stack, right, eventually, I think, uh, look, I mean, my, my own perspective on like, um, you know, vision is a really strong word and I don't like using that word, but at least what my hope is that we can deliver over the next five years, right? Um, there's a, there, there's a uh, essentially a list of tickets that if you were to start a company, like let's say you and Bart start a company together, we're going to run a SaaS product. You and I are going to put together a, a massive epic around Kubernetes and the, the list of kind of tickets in, in that epic are going to look exactly like our other friend who's starting another company in the SaaS space. And they're all the same, right? So that list, we understand now, right? And, and my hope is that we can go and chop through all of these. I want, I want to deliver all of this as a service. So my customer, who's usually our customer, the user of the platform is a DevOps team, right? And their internal customers, developers, and then operations, right? And they kind of sit in the middle serving both of those uh, teams. Um, I, I, I do want them to see us as a part of their organization. If we didn't exist, they would have to do it anyway, right? So we do it for them. We do it as a service. We package it. Uh, but that's the job, right? So everything, everything from kind of infrastructure provisioning to, of course, Kubernetes to application deployment to secrets management to log metrics, of course, right? Identity management, and then slowly, 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 we kind of move forward there in that direction. That's that's what I think uh, is is uh, is our our charter, and that's what I want to deliver. I think that's what the market's looking for. Just too hard for enterprises to do this. Agreed. And as we said, for the, the whole list of different points you mentioned previously, we got a couple more questions. Um, this one um, from another question from Avinash. How much of a disadvantage would you say it is when customers don't have access to the control planes, controller planes? Sorry. Disadvantage. I think there's enough controls available, even with managed services, to collect the data that you really care about. I mean, we haven't really seen a challenge. I mean, I, I can think of one telco customer who had a very specific requirement around, uh, you know, kind of configuration at the master level uh, because of which they could not use EKS. And this was some months ago now. And uh, since then, the EKS team seems to have understood that and, and uh, they've made that available as a configuration. But I think all, uh, everybody's early, all of us are learning. And uh, I found particularly our, our partners on the EKS team, so the PM team who we do speak with periodically, um, I think they've listened to their customers. Right. So every time they hear about something like, oh, okay, customers need this, they go and make it a priority. They, they get it done. So uh, if there's something missing, if, you, if, if an enterprise feels like there's something that there's a control that they don't have access to in the control plane, I would recommend a conversation. And if, if you need it, by the way, if, if somebody kind of needs a, a, a just direction to who's to speak to on the EKS team, I'm happy to uh, support that and kind of facilitate a, a conversation for you if you need it. But yeah, ask them. Uh, if they have a very good reason why you shouldn't have access, we should have a conversation. But if there's indeed something of Avinash that you kind of think, I mean, you need access or something, I'd love to hear about it. Yeah. With, you know, with that in mind, like you said about, you know, questions of access, and this is also, once again, talking about different environments. We've had talks with Octeto. We had uh, Jim Bugwadia from, uh, from Nirmada, but they were talking about Kiverno about, you know, what are the guardrails that you need to have? Once again, like you said, is that if it's a DevOps team, their stakeholders are developers and ops, you know, what is it, how can you have an environment where so that people are focusing on the things that are really going to provide value? Maybe there are some things, it's not that you're trying to hide things from somebody, but it's like your Kubernetes world or ecosystem doesn't have to be so big that it becomes, you know, overwhelming. Once again, I think mm -hmm. it's an overall push for simplification. We got another, we got another question. Um, this one from Sarva. What are the benefits we see doing chaos engineering, uh, whether enterprises do it and what are the best ways to do it? You know, you were talking earlier about, you know, SREs, things are going to break. We want to have a, you know, a plan for that kind of stuff. In your experience, what works? So, so we do some of that on our side and um, uh, certainly when you run uh, workloads for enough enterprises, I guess chaos is built into the system because you have no customers. Um, but I, I, you know, look, I mean, the, the following is true regardless of what kind of testing you do, you're going to run into situations that we've never thought of, right? I mean, crazy things happen. Um, like two weeks ago, we had this crazy blow up. Uh, so we, we maintain a kind of a multi-tenant elk stack uh, where, um, so we collect a lot of information for, for our customers so they can kind of look at a dashboard. So they don't have to go maintain a dashboard. We do it across their clusters, et cetera. And, uh, and uh, the memory usage on that stack, one of the, uh, so one of the InfluxDBs that's kind of you know, maintaining some of our data, just uh, 
there was a, this crazy spike in memory, never seen before, never seen it before. And, you know, the, the, the ops team, you know, we have a gentleman named Bashan on our side, you know, he jumped in, you know, I don't know what he did, but he's a magic, right? And he figured out what it is, but he'd never seen it before. Um, and uh, here's what he did. He said, okay, all right, now we know what it is. So, uh, hey, Hardik, who's one of our, you know, colleagues on the, on the automation side, hey, let's inject this problem into the system. So every time you see a problem, these guys seem to have a whole lot of, you know, rigor around, okay, we're going to now periodically inject it into our own automation that goes on all, all the time. So we learn and we fix and then we automate. And that seems to have helped the team a lot. But look, we understand that we don't know what we don't know, right? Dude, something's going to break in the next N number of weeks that, firstly, I can promise you something will break, but I can also promise you our guys will be on it, right? Because it just, at that point, it becomes a cultural thing. Right, it's not about okay, who did it? Why did it happen? No, no, we do that later. Get it back up and running right now. <laughs> People are waiting right now, right? Because we have SLAs to meet. And uh, I think I think having that clarity, uh, having that understanding that you know people are waiting, um, allows us to move fast. But at the same time, it's allowing the team to learn about exactly how to inject problems in the system. And uh, so we don't use a like a, some sort of a third-party framework for case case engineering. Maybe at some point we should. Uh, but right now the team has built their own framework to add, you know, kind of false uh, randomly just to see what happens. Yeah, yeah. But it's really I important. Without this, I don't think we'd, we'd we'd be able to move this fast. No, I think and, and like you said, is that it's going to happen, but it doesn't need to turn into this classic blame game. Let's throw somebody under the bus. We can do the post mortem later. And sometimes you can even celebrate those things as a as a learning opportunity and ways that things can be you know altered in the future. I think also just you know sort of a, a tangent on that a little bit, but like because we're in the beginning talking about SREs. Do you think that, you know, for, from an enterprise perspective, this means like, you know, recommendable, have a global SRE team because of thinking about working in shifts, things of that nature. So you can respond to problems at any point, um, at any point in time. So we do, we do do that. I mean, we, we have, we certainly have officially shifts, but I find that my God, these folks seem to work really long hours. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I think I think it's a it's not a function of they have nothing to do. They, they all seem to have you know lots of things going on in their lives. Uh, but I think it's a function of ownership. You know, I, I think they they feel the ownership. So when something bad happens, and I've seen this enough times now over the last three years. But I don't know, three in the morning India time. So we have a we have a large contingent of engineers in India. And in the morning, in the time, something that will happen, and they all have opportunity set up to kind of send them, uh, you know, text messages. Yeah, yeah. And and they all wake up, man. They, they all wake up. Oh, oh, and everybody's on, just trying to figure out, like, okay, we have folks in the U.S. Don't worry about. Nope, they're they're all on it. I think I think that's what makes it's it's not so much the process and all these. Of course, these things are important, right? Who does what? Who shift is it? What's the problem? But I think the right teams build a culture of ownership. Where something bad happens, nobody points fingers. I mean, we, we uh, you know, I mean, in our culture, we we don't do that, right? Here in our in our business, I mean, then everybody knows that this was the guy. He did something, but the if you not if that guy that guy already knows he did something wrong. Now, if you're gonna turn around and tell him you're the idiot, right? Okay, now we're not solving a problem. Now that guy is being just let it go, right? Just everybody owns what they own. They will take pride in their work. They do take pride in their work and they're going to make sure it comes back up. I think that, that, that helping people understand that this is your product. This is your, this is your microservice or whatever the, you know, whatever the, the dissemination happens to be. You own it. Keep it up. Right. Uh, I think that, that is what I find. And look, I, I, I'm the CEO of the company, right? I, I, I don't have to do purview over, or how the SRE team manages their own job. We have some very smart people on, on the leadership side doing that, but that's what I've seen them do. It give people enough ownership and, and uh, individual control over you know, the decisions they're making that actually is, it sounds like maybe that's a bad thing, but actually it's a great thing because then they're making the best possible decisions because they want it done. It's not a job. They want it. Right. And that seems to be working really, really well. Yeah. And like you said, running, you know, run it like you own it. It's one thing to say it, but it's another thing. If you really have that culture and it sounds like it's very much the case um, that, 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 you know, there's, there's a, there's an element of pride in something of having built something and, and that it totally to you. Yeah. yeah. Do, do I'll give you an example. The number of times I've seen our, our folks, uh, we'll get on customer calls and customers ask, right, what is your SLA and whatnot? And we say, yeah, we are legal SLA is, you know, three nines. But you know what the guys do? They they open up Pingdom and they show the last year's uptime on our console. 
and it's always high, right? And they do that with pride, right? They say, look, only two downtimes, one and a half minute here, whatever, right? And we are so far beyond our SLA, the legal SLA. We're doing so much better than that. And that's because these people are taking pride in their work. Yeah. And, and I think that's, you know, from an organizational perspective, how do you create an, an environment or a company culture where that is, is an element, you know, and it goes far beyond, uh, I think, just technical capacity. It's, it's like, when somebody said these human connections, just to address another question we got in the chat here. Um, so thinking about the future, uh, you know, the, this is from, from Paolo. Thank you, Paolo. Let's see if I get this right. So thinking about the future, abstracting everything is there's a line of, there's a line of abstraction, like the controller boards on some level are their limits. Um, and the sort of idea that professionals that don't need knowledge anymore. So thinking that maybe yeah. Yeah. The, sort of the suggestion here is that, um, that uh, would it be bad concentrating knowledge only in a few companies? Yeah, so I think abstractions are generally bad. I think they're bad. I think, uh, but to be specific, abstractions that hide information are bad. I think our customers, our best customers are the ones who understand the system in and out because they appreciate the platform more. But if the platform hid information from them, they're not going to be happy about it. We want them to know, right? But that doesn't mean they will have to do everything. There's a distinction, right? There's a distinction between not knowing and not needing to do because somebody else did it for you. Like as an example, right, in an SRE team, usually the managers, they know, they know all the uh, things that are happening. Um, you know, hey, they know, for example, you know, how Terraform works and where the TF scripts are sitting and how the web works work so that you can, you know, blah, 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 right? Are they doing the work themselves on a daily basis? Maybe, maybe not, right? Because there's a team, right? So similarly, now Rafe is part of your team on the DevOps team, right? So you've assigned us a job. Here's 10 work items. One of them is a GitOps pipeline. Another one is bring up of Kubernetes cluster. The third one is upgrades. Fourth one is deployment of applications across multiple clusters. Fifth one is a develop, whatever. I mean, there's a, there's a long list of things the platform does. You've assigned us work, but usually our customers have full appreciation and knowledge of what's happening under the cover. So we actually don't hide anything. I think that's a bad thing. So, uh, uh, which is why I start my, my answer by saying to Paolo, yeah, abstractions are bad. This is, don't think of this as an abstraction. Think of this as an automation framework that if you didn't exist, you would have built it anyway, right? And one thing that I really appreciate about the way our engineers have built the platform is the feedback I get from, from our customers is, if I had built this myself, it would look like your product. Mm -hmm. Okay, perfect, right? Uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, the, this, the, this, for example, we have a CLI, it's called RCTL. Everything is a CTL, right? So RCTL. Uh, and uh, you can use that, for example, to build, uh, make up a, a, uh, an example. If you have 10 clusters, and let's say you're deploying a workload, New Relic, and you need to change the license key in each of the 10 clusters. So we built a framework, we called it cluster override. So you can kind of you know, have, a, have a YAML spec for the application deployment, and then you have a separate override spec. So you can say on cluster one, change license key to A, and cluster two, change license key to B. So you can maintain two files, and you can maintain a fleet. You don't have to have thousands of applications. So it's very well thought through, very elegant design, but you as a developer or, or our customer get to see all of this stuff in, in detail at the YAML level. If you don't want to see it, we have a UI too. So we have a UI, we have an API, we have a CLI. Guess what most of our customers end up using? The CLI, because they're sophisticated users, right? Now, if it's, if it's the, you know, an, uh, a senior uh, manager in an enterprise IT organization who just wants to get a sense for what's happening in that company, they're gonna use the UI, because they want that abstraction layer. But had we designed our platform only to be an abstraction layer, we would not have the sophisticated customers we have on our platform today. Paula will buy unless we had the, that CLI layer. Yeah, follow up a little bit to that, but I think you already kind of covered it, just, just to fully cover Paula's question. Um, how, how does one choose this level of, of abstraction in companies? So I think it's not about choosing, right? Because it's not an abstraction. I think it's about, um, uh, you know, the, the three methods of interaction with a platform like this are, you know, API, CLI, and UI. So UI to me is more about visibility. In fact, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll refer to the, to the demo from this morning that I mentioned earlier uh, for this cluster overrides. So the engineer on our team who did the demo, so she uh, used a YAML spec to show how cluster overrides work and how a pipeline is triggered. But then to show that it was actually happening, she went to the UI to say, look, 
here's the pipeline, we're in stage two, and it's showing in progress. So the UI, the abstraction layer, was purely to validate and you know, kind of visualize what's happening. The action was happening at, at, the, at the programmatic level because most of our customers will end up kind of plugging Rafi into you know, a Jenkins pipeline or Terraform job or something, right? And they need to be able to see the stuff. If we abstract away all of the complexity, they won't know what to program when and how. They won't know where to insert us, yeah? So we have to, I mean, this is a, by the way, this is a constant kind of conversation in our company. Where do we draw the line? And we've chosen to make our life harder by doing both. But this is the right way to do it. We can't go one or the other. Because then we're going to, in every enterprise, there's a Paolo, but then there's also Haseeb who wants a UI to see what's happening. Yeah. Right? No, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's a good point. Taking this a little bit further, more to the data side, you know, at the enterprise level, because this is, uh, you know, something that's very frequent in our community. And once again, talking about knowledge gaps, uh, particularly when you start talking about, you know, running stateful applications, um, you know, in production, stateful workloads on Kubernetes. Do you feel like there's a bit of, you know, uh, hesitation at the enterprise level when it comes to this kind of stuff? It's like, oh, let's just do everything statelessly. Where do you think the current, um, we could say, framing of this is? So... This is going to be a generalization. Okay. Um, folks, uh, folks who were who were doing uh, who were using databases in the past um, uh, can introduce uh, RDS and Amazon, for example. They just spin a Postgres with RDS and they're going to use that as a as a service. Um, and uh, they do that because you know if they if they have experience kind of getting uh, data. If, I'm sure, Bart, you've done this enough times in your career, I'm sure, you know, maintaining, uh, you know, Postgres at scale is not for the pain of heart. You need, you need a team to do this, right? Every, all of these small things become large things when you have scale with data, right? So the really the question to ask is, okay, if it's going to get big enough where it's, it's more cost effective and timely for the business to just use RDS. Use RDS. Why do you want to run, uh, you know, Postgres inside inside uh, Kubernetes? You can do that in our product. It's very easy. You kind of pull Postgres from Bitnami, and boop, it's just going to work. Is that the right answer for your application for your business? Depends, right? So we have some edge customers who within cluster are running Postgres, and it works just fine. It's actually very good. But we have this conversation with some of our customers all the time, which is, hey, you're doing this, at, you know, for hundreds of thousands of customers in a public cloud. Why do you want to run uh, this this database or whatever? I mean, you know, we have uh, this one customer who runs Kafka within Kubernetes, and we have this conversation all the time. Why don't you just use this as a service, man? Why do you want to do this yourself? They have very good reasons to do it because they have done some specialized things at the at the topic level that they cannot get with the with the with the managed service. But for the most part, if you if you have the scale, I always this is my bias, right? So it's a bias. So I'm I'm gonna you know call it out out loud first. My bias is towards managed services for everything. If you can, do it. If you cannot, because of some business reason, it is what it is. But if you can, use it. Yeah. So that's I, what I always tell my customers. Yeah. I think, I think that's what we've seen as well too at enterprise level from an end user perspective, through a conversation we had with, uh, well, uh, a talk that was given by Flipkart, which is an e-commerce giant in India, um, and also with Zalando, which is an e-commerce you know, fashion giant in Europe. Um, in both cases, well, in, in one, in the case of Zalando, you know, it was putting uh, Postgres in, in and, and you know, doing everything statefully. In the case of Flipkart, it was with, with OpenEBS. But like you said, is that it, it, it depends on the use case. It depends on, on the sector. It does seem that, you know, that Edge 5G is kind of pushing that um, as a increasingly common um, or more frequently seen thing to do. Um, but like you said, is that it, are the conditions right from a, from a business necessity perspective. And then once again, you know, internally in terms of talent and, and folks with the know-how to be able to work with that. Um, Cause yep. maybe as of right now, maybe there's not a, you know, the maturity level necessary to, to be able to tackle that head on in every organization. So we do see it more in a case by case sort of basis. Mm -hmm. um, by the way, on this point, I started by talking about managed services, but in our product, if you use Rafi at the edge, we provide a managed OpenEBS offering and a uh, managed ClusterFS offering also, so for volume management or for, for block storage. So we provide it in our product. We have it, it's, it's there, you can use it. Uh, but when you go to the cloud, I always tell my customer, look, my opinion is don't use it. Use, 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 uh, use RDS. So uh, uh, the first job for, for me as a sales guy here is, look, uh, yeah, of course you wanna make money, but 
but we're trying to build a, a relationship with our customers, right? It's, you know, I keep going back to, you know, we work for you, right? So that's the, we work for our customer, right? Yeah. So we have to do the right thing, even if sometimes that means we make a little bit less money, right? And sometimes the right thing is indeed, don't use our managed storage offering. It's actually very good. It, it, you should use it on the edge. There's no option. You don't have an RDS at the edge, but uh, in Amazon or AWS, we tell our customers use uh, use RDS, use Postgres inside. They don't use ours. So we give our customers a bunch of options, but then we are also trying to be, you know, trying to do right by the the I guess the the trust our customers putting in us and giving them the right counsel. Right? I mean, I'd love for everybody in the world to use their, the the Terraform provisioning capabilities built into the Rafe, the platform, but then. But it doesn't make sense all the time. So in those cases, we say, hey, look, I mean, Terraform Cloud is awesome. You should be using that. Or maybe Jenkins is better because CI is the right answer for you. We just have to be you know, uh, careful about where the customer is in their journey, what the tooling they already have, and make their time to market is key. Whatever the answer is that gets them to production quicker, that's what we're going to do. That's the answer. Right. So, yeah, two options, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a suggestion, Mr. Customer. It's your decision how you want to do this. Mm-hmm. And like you said, that, that factor of time to market, what's the best way to address that? And that, that is a key factor that it's, it, because once again, is it that someone just, you know, completely in love and a fanboy of this technology or that technology, but then you pop that question there and say, Hey, time to market, you know, are we going to be looking at that? Um, I think it's a good way to sort of guide that. Um, two questions from, from Avinash is uh, Rafe something like DevOps as a service or will DevOps also have a role when uh, Rafe is involved? The consumer of this technology, I use the word consumer, not the buyer, because buyers who knows the companies who they are. Consumers always DevOps, right? Because it always comes back to, if Rafe didn't exist, you're gonna do this, right? So you were just taking your backlog off of your plate. The consumers always DevOps. I think that, because of the mentality of DevOps is the right mentality to be consuming a platform like this. You use this platform to internally deliver a service to dev and to ops. But that's a DevOps's job. That role is not going away anywhere. I think the distinction now is, okay, you know, 10 years ago, we were bringing data centers, right? I mean, arguably at that time, maybe DevOps was not a thing, but we don't do, we don't do that anymore, right? We're going up the stack, public cloud's covered that. And then we used to run databases. We just talked about that. Now I can consume that as a service. Right, on and on, right? These things, more and more services are available to simplify my job. And the reason why the services exist, and this potentially is unfortunate, the role of DevOps is getting crazier and crazier. The gamut of things that need to be solved by any DevOps organization, they're not shrinking, they're only growing, right? But we only have so much time in a day. We only have so many people. But the job is getting broader, right, in terms of definition. So the more services I can consume, uh, I well, like save the company money because you know it'll, it'll probably cost less money than having four or five people do this. But now those four or five people who are, are going to be rock stars, they can now work on value, right? So that's that's what's happening, right? So yes, absolutely, the DevOps is just only getting crazier, and we're showing up to take off a small burden off of our DevOps uh, customer. Just a quick differentiation as well, too, because sometimes you've seen, I've seen, I've seen this kind of laid out, but how do you differentiate between DevOps and SRE? So there's tooling to, maybe the following is a better way to think about it. The automation layer is mm-hmm. built by DevOps. So they own the product, which is consumed by SRE to keep the lights on. And then SREs, they may be building their own tooling on top to be fair, but you know, but, but the perfect balance is where DevOps is basically building opera- developing operational tooling that is then used by their internal customer, which is SRE, right? So to me, that's the perfect way to do this, right? Because some people have to keep the lights on at night and some people have to build the tooling. So which is why it's a constant kind of development effort, right? You keep finding issues, you keep kind of giving feedback back to DevOps and they keep kind of making the, the platform automation layer better and better and better. So with that in mind, with that framework in mind, and not every company is going to behave this way, uh, like Google doesn't behave this way, but you know many enterprises do behave this way. With that in mind, who's our customer? Our customers not, I mean, SREs end up using Rafe, of course, but our actual customer, consumer, is DevOps because we want to go through DevOps to SRE. I think that's the right balance because DevOps will have a lot of purview over how to keep the lights on, or at least the tooling needed to keep the lights on. And at the same time, there are developers will be engaged and you know get the, get the pipelines and whatnot, right? DevOps is the right kind of you know center of gravity uh, for an organization. And if they are 
stepping back and thinking holistically about how do I make my dev successful? How do I make my operations slash SRE team successful? I think the company becomes successful. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's a very, very good distinction because it's something that sometimes gets a little bit confusing. It's been mentioned a few times in our community. Am I, you know, how do I go from one to the other? We've also talked a lot about as well, the, the transition from DBAs to SREs. Now DBAs are frequently, and I'm, uh, this is a generalization, you know, sort of hardened group of individuals that have uh, very often suffered a lot and, and have a certain way of looking at things trying to build that out into an SRE. What kind of suggestions would you give to a DBA who maybe wants to become an SRE? I think the, the roles are very similar because end of the day, the job is to keep something up and running, right? And if something crazy happens, right, you know all the tricks because you have 15 years of scars yeah. to know exactly where to go and look at this thing. And okay, that joint, you know, you know, you know, in the properties file, I know exactly what to grab for because I've seen this 10 times before, right? That's what, that's what you guys do. Is, how is that any different from at least, at least functionally what SREs do? Maybe at a maybe they do more things than database is one thing, but they do they have many things under uh, to cover. But I think it's the same job. I think the the distinction is uh, SREs more and more are are also focused on with this traffic hitting the application, and then spikes are happening, and they're doing a whole lot of correlation work to figure out exactly why this happened and so on. So that scale, um, uh, unfortunately, and this is my experience, and maybe I'm I'm getting old also. I think this is one of those learning by doing things. Um, I don't have. I don't know if a book that talks about all this stuff. I have never read a blog that talks about exactly what an SRE job is. I know there's enough blogs who talk about it, but I mean, having seen my colleagues do this, oh my God, this is a black art, man. There's no. <laughs> this is just crazy stuff that happens, and I can't explain. I I can't write a book about this. I don't understand what it is. Um, but yeah, this is a learning by doing. Uh, but uh, yeah, like I mean, soon enough, I'm sure you know uh, more and more visibility tools will exist, and more and more correlation tools are already existing now that can help SREs kind of you know resolve issues faster. Uh, but yeah, I mean, going DBA is going to SRE. Yeah, look, mentality wise, it's the same job because the job is to bring it back up now. That's that's job, right? It just happens to be broader. Mm -hmm. All right. This in mind, you know, thinking about the one thing is, you know, growth is more and more folks start opting in on this, on, on becoming an SRE. In terms of, you know, more adoption of Kubernetes at an enterprise level, what are, like, if you had a, you know, if you said, I could, if I could do one thing to make this happen faster, what would it be? And not necessarily faster, mm. but more, more effective in, in the right way. That yeah, yeah. So, man, that's a tough question. Uh, so. Here's the, so a lot of companies seem to, I'm choosing my words carefully here. A lot of companies seem to start these projects and then, you know, there's this excitement around, okay, this is pretty easy, right? You already have this container ready and bring in G, you know, up and running in three months and it doesn't happen. And it doesn't happen because in a typical enterprise, I'm talking then reasonably mid-sized to large enterprise, you'd have an enterprise architecture team, you have a security team, uh, they'll have all these expectations around, you know, controls and whatnot. And I think that's, those are the boring things about production, right? I mean, you know, do you have the right visibility? Do you have the right audits coming out, right? Uh, this is boring stuff, right? It's not, I, I'm not excited about it, but it needs to be done, right? And I think the boring stuff, like for example, this, the, it's shocking how often we hear this. I want to make sure Prisma Cloud is running on everything. Or you mentioned the uh, Caverna before. We just happen to see more OPA, but you know, same, you know, potato, potato. Uh, so I want to make sure that Gatekeeper is running everywhere and these five policies are right on all the clusters in my in my world, right? And I want to make sure that automation is in, is in place before you go to production. Okay, all right. Now DevOps has to go in now build that, and that takes time. And so I think this is where things slow down. Not on the, not on the, you know, the, um, on the shiny car that you see from outside. But once you, you know, once you look under the, under the car, and okay, well, there's this underbody stuff that I got to take care of. And if I go over a curb, is it, is, is the, is it going to hit the curb, etc. That's where pain is, right? And we have spent a lot of time uh, working on that for our customers. So all this boring stuff, we got it. Uh, so that's our job, right? So we, we, of course, we are trying to always figure out. My job is to figure out, okay, where is where is the project slowing down in my customer environment, and that becomes something that we should go focus on as a product. Uh, but this is where things slow down. It's the it's the non sexy stuff, 
uh, and then enterprise architecture gets in the way or, you know, they'll, I'll give you a real example from like yesterday. Oh my God, we could, we could talk. We had like five hour conversation about this crazy examples in a month. But yesterday we had a customer, a very large enterprise, Fortune 100 enterprise, who, who has, uh, you know, kind of uh, security configuration policies in play, uh, SCP in play at AWS. And that was getting in the way of this one team deploying EC2 instances. We've never seen this before. And uh, it's fixed, by the way. Yeah, I saw it yesterday, this morning, it's already fixed in production. That's the beauty of our SR teams. It's awesome, guys. Um, but uh, yeah, that triggered this whole, you know, 10 meetings that happened in this company yesterday, right? Not, I should call them meetings, but, you know, escalations that happened uh, because of this one issue, right? Underbody, right? So all the nice things about building a cluster and all these things work, but then tying this back to SCP policies that security had uh, kind of, you know, set up for AWS environments in production, that we missed. We missed because, well, nobody thought about it, right? This is, this is the underbody. So our team, these guys are, I just don't even know how they, they move this fast, but had this been a problem that you were solving internally, what, how long would it take you to figure this out? It's going to take you some time, right? You got to learn how SCPs work and where exactly is cloud formation getting stuck and it's going to take some time. Our people have experience, so you know, fortunately we happen to be there, we fixed it. But this happens a lot on the body. This is where pain is, all this non-sexy stuff, right? This, and this is what I tell our customers, just offload that to us. You want to build the cluster yourself because you've spent enough time building a Terraform uh, framework to provision the cluster. Excellent. All of this other stuff, we got it for you, right? And that's where things slow down. So I'm, I'm giving you a, 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 a specific one or two examples based on my own personal pain, right? And that may not be reflective of all the folks listening to this call, but no, man, yeah, it's all the non-technical But I think that's super important because I, I, and once again, as a CEO, I think this is sort of a, a wake up call and, you know, there's always this battle, you know, between the tech side, and the business side, but what kind of basic training and, you know, value and, and adding, you know, adding business value and focusing on, on, on core things of that nature, not just, Hey, I want to play with all the bells and whistles and, and shiny stuff and fancy toys um, for engineers that are out there, whether it's SREs, DevOps, et cetera, basic business concepts. Do you think that the, you find frequently they're not keeping in mind? I'll go back to time to market. I think I think the thing that we, what I haven't figured out, and and I'd love feedback on this from folks listening right now. Um, on you know whatever method uh, I'm on Twitter, I'm on, on LinkedIn. But you know a lot of people uh, in the early days before we had something to sell, you know, I talked to a lot of customers about getting feedback, et cetera. And they would say, ah, you know, it's very good, but I don't need this, right? We got this, right? This is this, we can figure this out. Uh, in two months, we'll be in production, and then. Everybody's behind schedule, and uh, and they we are all as engineers. I think because we are engineers, right? We like to tinker. We want to build things, right? Um, we are learning by doing. And what I've been trying to figure out is: is there a better way? Is there a way to sort of you know disseminate uh, you know what is the the hard things about the hard things about these hard things that we are doing in 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 our jobs, right? Is there an easy way to disseminate? I think I think we as a community, one disservice we do to ourselves is we try and say everything is easy. Oh, this is so easy. It only takes thirty steps. What? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's hard, man. It's okay. Admit that it's hard. It's okay, right? It's not that doesn't that doesn't reflect on you. It's just it's 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 hard. It's complex. If it was easy, everyone would do it. Right. And that I think is, is actually, you know, it's causing this, this, uh, this uh, in many, many teams, sometimes, you know, they could use something uh, off the shelf or they could use a framework they could buy from not just me. Like, you know, hey, Nirmata, great company, right? If they provide a service where they can help you set up Corona for money. Yeah. Why not do it? Right. Because otherwise you'd have to learn this. I think that is the, that if, if part, if you have, look, you have a, you, you have a soapbox, right. That you can speak from this, this podcast in itself. I would encourage you to think about that. Right. Just it's, it's hard. It's okay. <laughs> Take the help. There's right. Not, because the job is to move faster. But, but, it, but it's also say it's hard, but it can be done and it is being done. And you know, there is a process, you know, there's a method to the madness. Yeah. You can kind of think of it that way. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And the, and the business point in that is if you admit that, you know, sometimes you say, right, admitting that, that there's a problem is the first path to solving the problem, right? So if it needs hard, then okay, how can I find the help that's going to help my business move faster? Because at the end of the day, look, somebody's paying our salary, right? 
my, I'm getting a salary. Right? What is, I have a job. I have to, I have my job is to deliver. Our jobs are to deliver, right? And sometimes these complexities get in the way. And, you know, particularly because of engineers, we're trying to, we want to do everything ourselves, right? It's okay. It's all good. It's all good. It's really hard. Uh, let's be open about it. And uh, let's find avenues where we can move faster so that our employers, you know, are, are successful because that means we will be successful. Absolutely. And I think also as well, you can take it as being hard, but I think, I think at the same time is take it as you're in that these folks are in a very much a pioneer position. You know, these things are being done yeah. very much for the first time. And, um, and so, you know, be kind to yourself in the process. Like it's not, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. However many expressions we could, we could use to, to cover this. Um, anyway, Hasib, thank you very much. We're almost out of time. But before we finish, uh, you as, as, a, as a very experienced professional, what resources do you tend to, to follow? Anything that you would recommend that maybe folks don't know about that you, you would say definitely check out this, whether it's books, whether it's uh, articles, whether it's videos, anything? So I follow a lot of really smart people on Twitter. And that is usually my way of learning things, you know, like folks like Joe Beta and all those guys, of course, right? I'm sure all of us follow follow uh, Mr. Beta, but, you know, there's a bunch of, in fact, you know, um, uh, even though you mentioned, because you mentioned Nirmata, right? I mean, you know, Jim, for example, on LinkedIn, Jim's the CEO of Nirmata, right? You know, some really good uh, uh, writing uh, that I enjoy. I think, I think what I enjoy about this industry is I'm learning from my peers. I'm learning from my competitors also. Right. Uh, we all talk to each other. We all write stuff. We have content on the blogs. Like every piece of documentation about Rafe, it's open. It's docs.rafe.co. And, uh, you know, we see that there are many people who just show up just to look at the recipes because we've written the recipe for everything. You, you want an example for how to use Gatekeeper to block a specific registry? We've thought about it. It's there. You don't have to be a customer to consume it. I think this, this notion of sharing information is what I think makes this, uh, this whole industry so awesome. So that's what I do. So I, I, I read, a, I, I think on my Feedly RSS, I think I have like 130 different feeds that I follow around just DevOps. <laughs> just so I, because I got to keep up, right? I mean, there's just so yep. much stuff going on, yep. right? We have to keep up. So, right, so making sure, allocating time every day to just read of all the new things that are out there, it's so critical. All of us have to do it. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a good point, and that's why the, you know there's no one magic answer, not one magic person to follow. Like you said, it's it's more about the habits um, of just constantly being in touch with this stuff because it's 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 endless. You know, like you're you're never gonna know everything, um, but it's uh, it's just about, about being there and and being active. We will obviously link your Twitter and LinkedIn. The the doc site that you just mentioned, I think, is very good too. It's always one of the best places to get started. Great to see that um, that you and 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 Rafael, that you're being so transparent. Also, really quickly, where did the name come from? It's my son's name. Oh, that's cool. All right, that's good. No pressure on him. Um, but that's, that's, or me. <laughs> I know, yeah, yeah, both ways. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, all right, that's cool. And, and does it does it mean anything in in any other language? I'm just curious as well. Yeah, it, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's actually a, I guess it's an Arabic word. It's a, it is an old word. It means one who elevates. Oh wow! So that's what I mean. So we're we're hoping to elevate our customers. As you know, I mean that that's obviously I'm trying to kind of use the word and apply it. But it means one one who elevates. So my, our previous startup was named after my daughter. Uh, that company was called Soha, and uh, you know that was a very nice success. And uh, now the pressure's on me to make sure we gotta we gotta make make this one successful. Elevate, also, elevate but already when. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, nah, it's Kubernetes is such a great uh, uh, market. I mean, everybody's uh, modernizing. I think, uh, you know, from a timing perspective, we we couldn't have chosen a better time to be doing a company like this, given the problem we're solving. And uh, you know, the more engagement we get, uh, the the better our platform's getting. So I'm 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 really appreciative of you, appreciative of you allowing me to kind of uh, you know kind of talk to you about this and you know in, interact with your you know colleagues in the community. And yeah, anybody else? I mean, you know, by the way, this is a SaaS product. If you just want to kick the tires. You know, just sign up for an account, you know, go to your thing. If you like it, great. If you have feedback for us, we'd love it. And if you hit it, please tell us so we can yeah, make it better. That feedback is sometimes even more important, right? No, but with, with, with that in mind, I think it's, for me, it's really, really nice because a lot of times in our community, it feels like we're talking about science fiction. And, and being with you, and once again, if we're talking about enterprise level, we're really, really, really thinking about end users here. Um, and at the end of the day, if, if that's not a part of it, you know, you can have, the, the greatest, whatever, the this and that, but if the end users, like you said, the consumers aren't, if that consumption isn't going well, or if it's not even happening, if we're just talking about, well, theoretically, when we get customers, when we get, you know, consumers in the future, um, but I think, you know, the, the enterprise challenges, 
it's for me, it's just, it's another ball game. Um, so it's really, really good to hear that perspective. We have a tradition in all of our, in all of our meetings that, um, while you've been talking, we have our graphic recorder, Angel. I don't know if you can see my screen. Can you see my screen? Yes, I can. You'll be able to. So he made a visual summary of the stuff you were talking about as you were. Um, so we'll be sharing that on Twitter and LinkedIn. Always nice to have a visual representation. Great conversation. Very, very good conversation. Very natural. Um, I'm sure you're interviewed a lot um, and will be interviewed a lot more. Great style and very, very down to earth. So for me, it's been an absolute pleasure. We did get some questions that we didn't get a chance to answer through through YouTube. So I will put those in our Slack. Um, you can You can answer them whenever you get a chance. And we will also be linking everything, um, like I said, Twitter, LinkedIn, et cetera, so that folks can uh, can continue the conversation, check out all the new things you're going to be doing. Um, any final final thoughts, final words you'd like to share? No, I think I really enjoyed this, and I'm going to make sure I interact with the community on the Slack. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Now, this, please give us feedback. I mean, that's my, you know, uh, the only way we, we do better is because people are honest with us. So please be honest with us. Tell us what you like, what you don't like, and, and we would be very appreciative. Great. Thanks so much, Asif, for your time. Take care. Thank you, Bart. Talk to you, man.